0: What a great beginning to the Thanksgiving week, the humility to receive and and give thanks. We have had this autumn uh, the opportunity to hear about a life lived long ago, Moses, eight or nine weeks worth. And for me, it's been a great series. I have enjoyed you asking good questions. I feel like I have learned myself in fresh ways and in new ways that impact my faith. I, uh, hard as it is to believe, about 2 o'clock in the morning on Tuesday, I awake in New Delhi, can't get back to sleep, and so literally I rolled over, turned on my iPad, and I watched Petey's sermon from India, and I thought he did such a phenomenal job. This idea of praying in a way that says, God, if you won't go with me, I'm not going. God, if you won't go with me, I'm afraid to go anywhere. And the idea that we would learn to turn to God and say, God, are you with me, comes to us through the life of Moses. I hope you learn something today. I hope you connect something today. But my prayer all through this week has been that today you would have more courage that you would have enough courage to actually do something. One of the things that I learned in our study of Moses is Moses doesn't go up to the mountaintop one time, doesn't even go up twice. Moses and the company go up to the mountains to hear from God seven different times in this story, and they are different when they return. Let's hear about one of those encounters in Exodus Chapter 34. They're on top of the mountain. And then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, a covenant with you and Israel. Moses was with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without bread or water. And he wrote on tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of law in his hands, he wasn't aware that his face was glowing. "'Radiant from speaking with God. "'When Aaron and the Israelites saw Moses, "'the face was still glowing, and they were afraid, "'and they ran away. "'But Moses called out, and all the leaders came back, "'and Moses spoke to them. "'And then all the Israelites came near, "'and Moses gave them all the commands "'the Lord had given to him on Mount Sinai. "'Well, when Moses finished speaking to them, "'he put a veil over his face.' And whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with God, Moses removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out, they saw that his face glowed, and then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Moses put on a veil so that his face, his brilliant face, would not be the story. Sometimes the hero puts on a veil so that he won't be the story. They're special. This is the Lone Ranger. Or the next one would be the Batman. We learn this from Captain America. And the most recent would be the Iron Man. The face is covered There's a hero inside. Moses put on a veil so that he would not be the story. That's the first half of the story. Moses puts on the veil because the glow scared people. But the reason that this is in the Scriptures is not because he put on the veil. It's because he kept the veil on. Even after the glow faded... He kept the veil on. Now it says that Moses was the most humble person that walked the face of the earth, but he was still more special when the veil was on than when the veil was off. Dallas Willard says, at the root of all of the pain of humanity is the besetting failure of humankind for image management. We spend our lives managing our image. And we sin and we do sins in our need to look good, to manage our image, to hide what's really happening inside. We put on a veil or a mask. I was walking out with a lady yesterday who said, well, then I'm Teresa of the Thousand Veils. We all wear masks. From the Garden of Eden on, we hide. Remember how it said... The Lord created them, and they were naked, and they were not ashamed, and then they chose not to follow God, and they saw that they were naked, and they ran away, quivering in the bushes, wearing leaves caked on with mud, hiding. They were wearing masks so that God wouldn't see them, so that others wouldn't see them. Anybody seen the the movie Marshall yet? You really ought to see it, about Thurgood Marshall. Great movie. Um, In it, uh, Langston Hughes, the poet, is there. Another of the great African-American poets was Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Wonderful. And his most famous poem is this theme. His poem is called, We Wear the Mask. We wear the mask that grins and lies it hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. This debt we pay to human guile. With torn and bleeding hearts, we smile. We smile, but O oh, great Christ, our cries to thee from tortured souls arise. But let the world dream otherwise. We wear the mask. Something different is happening underneath. Dunbar wrote that because of the inability of others to understand what it was like to be African American in America. But it's not just about being black. It's about being human. We wear the mask or the veil. Some of you, your veil, your mask, is humor. Hard to get to know who you really are because you deflect everything with a joke or something funny. Uh, For some of you, the veil is uh, intelligence. It's not getting to know you, it's getting to know what you know. You always have to have more information to win the argument. Some of you have a great veil it's the veil of service. You are always busy, so busy doing things for other people that you have no time to let people do things for you or to get to know you. Your veil is service for others of you. The veil is sarcasm. If, uh, if people were to try to get to know you, sarcasm would push them away. For some of us, I believe that the veil is spirituality. You've always got a God-talk-isn't-the-Lord-good answer for everything. But what's happening underneath? What's your veil? If you were to think for just a second, what's your veil? If you don't know, turn to the person next to you and say, what's my veil? No, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. That could be bad. It's a, it's a lifelong journey, this Wearing a mask that Moses shows us. Uh, if I go, uh, first game ever learned, first game we ever learned is this. What am I saying? Peekaboo, I see you. Peekaboo, I see you. We hide, and then we show, and then we hide again. Now, that changes, and frankly, for about 18 months to two years as children are toddlers they don't wear the veil they don't wear nothing they turn from peekaboo ICU to watch me (sighs) wasn't that great watch me wasn't that great watch me again wasn't that great they want you to see everything but then soon usually almost always before but certainly by the time they get to school the veil comes on Because it's not peekaboo anymore, and it's not watch me, now it's, do you like me? I will become what you need to see so that you will like me. And we manage our image so much that even when we get to know each other, we don't drop the veil very often. Laura was in a small group for years with some women who they felt talked about their kids and their husbands and their kids and their husbands and, and all of life. And then one day a woman came to the group and said, I suppose I should tell you he moved out last week and the marriage is over. And everyone was what? What? You never talked about What? She said, well, you're all so together you you just have it together. I, I I felt like I couldn't take the chance. Every human being born on planet Earth hides and puts the veil over our scars or our wounds or our fears. Since the fall, our tendency is to hide as if our life depended on it. Listen to that phrase again. Our tendency is to hide as if our life depended on it. When the truth is, our life depends on being found, not hidden. Our life depends on getting found because there is no healing in hiding. So, what's the answer? Well, Oscar Wilde, of course, says, well, just be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. (laughs) Sounds sounds good. That's why it's on a bumper sticker. I believe authenticity, taking the veil down, is a terribly countercultural, terribly scary thing to be walking around naked. And I think one of the hardest places for us to take down the veil is in church. Whether that's in youth group or in the choir or with the dynamos, we wear the mask. We we keep up the veil. And can I just tell you this? That repels people. That keeps people away. Either because they go, oh, I could never fit in there. Those people are together. Or because they say, oh, they think they're better than we are. People drive by this church by the thousands and the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands, and they look at us, and they look at our building, and they look at our parking lot, and they say, how could I ever fit in here? We, um, we had um, a case of that in the Bible. The church became toxic. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, Woe to you, religious leaders, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. You wear the mask. You're beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of the bones of the dead. It pushes people away. But we're afraid to tell how things are really going. More than 20 years ago. More than 20 years ago, we hired a new, <laughs> I, I'm just a little tired, I was going to say we hired a new priest, we hired a new pastor, we hired a new pastor, great guy, wonderful uh, missions pastor, he did great, he had a wonderful family, how are you doing? Fine, they got a beautiful new home, fine, everything's going good, and five years into it, this fine, great, in deep in the heart of the community is discovered to have stolen more than $150,000 from the church. Actually, not from the church, from the poor. And it led way down, and by the grace of God, it went back up. But he and I went out once um, for a cup of coffee, and I, and I said, Brad, how did this happen? Because his pattern was that he would uh, take a check for $1,000 and then write a check back for 800 Later, when his uh, when his check came, and and gradually he fell further and further and further behind, and finally just giving up, he just took the checks. He said, "Well, I I I so much, I, I so much loved keeping my family happy, and uh, and I, I couldn't say to my wife." who had been married to a doctor, I couldn't say to my wife, Honey, I think we need to sell the house. I couldn't say to my wife, No, we we can't afford that car. And I, and I, I certainly couldn't say to you, John, I can't seem to handle the money right. So I guess I just got used to faking it. That's the veil. The irony, of course, is that when the veil gets ripped off, if we have been faking it, it looks twice as bad. And the other irony is that, frankly, we are drawn to people who don't wear a mask. We actually love seeing that. Some of you are old enough to remember Pope John Twenty-Third, the Vatican II peasant, pri- Pope po- priest, and uh, He was at a papal audience one time, and uh, this woman comes in with a low cut dress and a large chest. And he says, You know, it's an interesting thing being Pope. Before I was the Pope, we all would have looked at her. Now that I'm Pope, we all look at me. (laughs) Half of them to see where he's looking, and the other half to pretend that they didn't notice. Disclosure begets disclosure. Taking the mask down helps other people. Jesus did not wear a veil. He lived a life filled with joy and laughed, with sadness and cried, with anger and yelled, with fatigue and fell asleep, with fear and trembled. His followers never had to guess, and he never had to pretend. Because of that, the disciples portray themselves in the stories about Jesus. It is so much more realistic. They portray themselves not as heroes. They're klutzes. Because they don't put on the veil to make themselves look better. And as they go around talking, around the Mediterranean Sea, they don't say, this is not about you getting your act together. They, they preach about Jesus. And they preach the lesson of Moses, the danger of looking good. The story that we read in Exodus is repeated in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Corinthians. He says, since we have hope, sorry, thanks. Since we have hope that this new glory within will never go away, remember the glory that shined out of Moses' face, we preach with great boldness. We're not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the Israelites would not see the glory fade away. And actually, that passage starts like this it says, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken down. You see, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, freedom to be who you are. And we all, with unveiled faces, reflect the glory of God and are being transformed into His likeness. That's what I want for you this Thanksgiving, just for a second just with one person, to lower the veil. But I believe that that's not easy. What does it take to remove the veil that I'm so used to wearing? I think what it takes to remove the veil is the hope that we have in Christ that gives freedom. I will not lower the veil unless I feel like Jesus has freed me, like Jesus has said to me, There is nothing that you have ever done that is so bad that I will not love you. And there is nothing so good that you will do that I will love you more. I want you to have freedom to be who you really are. Lower the veil. There needs to be a desire to stop hiding that overcomes the veil. I'm so tired of pretending to be more spiritual than I am. And it says, when we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And this Thanksgiving, what I'd like you to hear is that the veil only comes down when we find people that can stand the weight of our face, that when we have relationships where we do not have to pretend. That means that you need to know when to lower the veil and when not to. Some quick warning signs. If the person that you are thinking about lowering the veil to constantly uses inappropriate humor, keep it up. If they have a pattern of judgmental statements or they want to fix you, premature advice, don't share with that person. If this person will tell everybody what anybody says, don't tell nobody nothing to them. But there need to be people. There need to be people with whom you lower the veil. I, I, I'm not preaching this for you. This is a for us one. I am paid to be good. I'm trying. And I, one of the ways that a priest, pastor, tries is to be nice to people, even people that he thinks are jerks. He's nice to everybody. Now, I have had a friend, and and, and is a friend, uh, for decades here, very involved in the life of the church, and sometimes we do great, and sometimes we do bad. But often I feel like I never measure up to this person. I I never do it right, and I feel like they are critical. And so this person... Uh, just a little bit ago, uh, asks the office for some information about things that the church is doing. And I, I hear about that. And so with my pastoral bravery, I read an email. No, I, I'm in I- India, and I, I write this email saying, hey, friend, here are things uh, that, that you want to know stuff, anything going on? And I am really on the inside saying, oh, this will be fine. Now on the inside, I'm saying, "Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! Was he heard?" And I wait, and then the response came from this person, and they said, "Well, you know, I I've just not always been sure about my motives, but I I, I heard at Vision Night that I need to be one of the stakeholders here, and so I asked for the information." so that I could do better here so that I could be a stakeholder this church matters to me and as I read that my first reaction was and my second reaction was shame my my second reaction was embarrassment and it it took a couple days but you're in India what else are you going to do a couple nights later I I wrote this person and I said I got a lump in my throat reading this but I, I, I just need to confess to you that I I'm not sure that I have thought well of you I have been worried about what you would say or think of me and I I need to confess that to you and so because he took down the veil I I was able to try at least, and I think God will be glorified with that. You know, the, the, most, sacred, the most sacred 20 minutes of this church uh, happens on Sunday mornings about 12.30 right here. We, uh, we have a little service called Mosaic, and it's for our mentally handicapped, mentally challenged kids. They come in here... And they take out little musical instruments and they sing songs and they are terrible. And they jump up and down and they go all different ways. It is being in the presence of God. And when I was in India this last week, one of the things that World Vision is doing is to draw together the mentally handicapped because in a poor society, no one will take care of them. They never get out of the house. And in these daycare centers and schools, they bring the kids together and they teach them songs. And I'm in New Delhi and the Indian kids are jumping up and down and laughing and singing in Indian, Jesus loves me. And I start to cry and the director of World Vision Australia is next to me and and he says, look at her. And he's pointing at the director He said, she knows everybody's name. She loves them. She gives them an instrument and they stand up front. And he said to me, doesn't her face look like the face of Jesus? But we all, with unveiled faces, reflect the likeness of our God. When we take down the veil, when we trust in Jesus, when we serve one another. Lord Jesus, this week, I pray that you would make our thanksgivings a time of giving thanks for your good. I pray that you will help me and my sisters and brothers here to see where we have been faking it, where, like Moses, we keep the veil on. I pray that, Lord Jesus, you will take down the veil and say that you love us, and you want us to learn to love one another like that. To the glory of God that never fades, be praised in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Amen.